Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. We encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com. Pick the giving option that works best for you and help us to continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. The book of Joshua was not written for people who were still wanting to wander, still wanting to run around in circles and not wanting to move forward. The book of Joshua was written for men and women who wanted a a new experience, a new challenge. I mean, they didn't mind a challenge. They just wanted something new, something from what they've had over the last 40 years. Joshua was about a group of men and women, a new generation who have decided that they want to reach their destiny, that where they were at was okay. I mean, they were out of Egypt, all right. They had formed a nation, all right, and they were doing good, all right, and they were protected, and they were being fed, and the families were growing, but it was never where God intended them to be. The book of Joshua are for people who was not willing to settle for less than God's best in their life. Now, the Bible tells us that there was a leadership change that had just taken place. The Bible says that Moses had died. There had been a proper time of grieving that had taken place for Moses and his leadership, and a new leader had come on the scene. God even said it this way, Moses, my servant, is dead. and As I was with Moses, I will be with you. Now, Joshua was of the new generation. Joshua was a leader. He was a fighter, and he was a possessor of the promises of God for God's people. God told Joshua to stop crying. God told him to wipe his face because it was time to cross over the River Jordan. I want to pronounce a benediction over everything that every one of you have been crying about in your past. Every heart that has been broken where you have shed tears. Every person that betrayed you. Every hateful word that has ever been spoken over your life. I am pronouncing a benediction today that you cried your last tear over that yesterday. And you will never cry another tear over it again. Every person that walked out of your life, every person that is no longer there, everything that is ever bad that has ever happened to you, you cried your last tear yesterday. And I also proclaim over you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you are getting your fight back. You are getting your hope back. And you are getting your faith back. And you will never bring into a new year that which you left behind you in an old year. And now God tells Joshua to move his people out of where they had been and into where God wanted them all along. Joshua chapter 2, I want to read it kind of quickly on the side screen. Follow along with me. And Joshua secretly sent out how many spies? Forty years ago, how many spies were there? There were 12. How many came back with a negative report? This is a new leader. Joshua just cut out the negative. Now, if I were Moses back in the day when the 12 came back and 10 gave negative reports, I think I would have ostracized them outside of the camp and they would have never opened their mouth up to the people that were in the camp. I think as a leader, that's what I would have done. But instead, the 10 came back, so Joshua said, you know, I'm just going to make sure that doesn't happen again. Because this way, if two comes back and one brings a negative report, we'll just say he got lost on the trail. (laughs) Joshua was not going to allow it. So he sends out two spies from the Israel camp. 
And he instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out, came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed the night there. Okay. If we sent two of our staff to like uh, a mission field and they were going to do some work and they came back and said, yeah, the first night we stayed at a prostitute's house, would anybody kind of raise your eyebrows? Really? Is that the best you could do, fellas? No hotels? No, really, not a grandpa and a grandma somewhere with a pie in the oven? I mean, really? But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites had come here tonight and spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who come to your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. And Rahab had hidden the men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to be closed. I don't know where they went, but if you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up on the roof of her house and she put them beneath some bundles of flax that she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk to them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things, for the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above. And the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live and along with my father and my mother and my brother and my sisters and all their family. We offer our lives as a guarantee for your safety, said the men. If you don't betray us, we'll keep our promise and we will be kind to you when the Lord gives us this land. Then since Rahab's house was built on the town wall, notice here's the town wall, the wall that fell, her house was built into it, a window was on the other side, went through the wall. So since her house was built on the time wall, she let down a rope through the window, escaped to the hill country, she told them, hide there for three days, three days, three days, three days, from the men searching for you. Then when they have returned, you will go on your way. Before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by an oath. We have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, your brothers, and all the relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street and they're killed, well, that's not our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on the people inside this house, we will accept responsibility for their death. But if you betray us, however, <laughs> we're not bound to this oath in any way. I accept your terms, Rahab replied. And she sent them on their way. Leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window, the spies went up to the hill country and stayed there for three days. The men who were chasing them, searching everywhere along the road, well, they finally returned without success. Then the two spies came down to the hill country, crossing the Jordan River, and they reported to Joshua all that had happened to them. The Lord has given us this whole land, they said. For all the people in the land, oh, look at the difference. Now who's the grasshoppers? Huh. They want it here before they ever want it here. 
Four chapters later, Joshua chapter 6, Jericho walls have already come down. They've marched around in seven days. Boom, the walls are down. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the spies, keep your promise. Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out, along with all of her family. And the men who had been spies went and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, brothers, all the relatives who were with her. And they moved their whole family to a safe place, <laughs> a brand new start out of their wilderness near the camp of Israel with all new people. Then the Israelites burned the town, everything that was in it, only the things that were made of silver, bronze, and gold, or iron were kept in the treasury of the Lord's house. So Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, and her relatives who were with her in the house because she hid the spies sent to Joshua from Jericho. Mm. Hebrews chapter 11 now, let's jump forward. Hebrews chapter 11, if you don't know, is the great faith chapter of the Bible. In Hebrews 11, each one of the Old Testament men who were filled with faith are mentioned there. It's kind of the who's who of faith when it comes to the Old Testament. Men like Noah are mentioned. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Jacob. And lots are said. By faith, Moses. By faith, Joshua. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, I believe it is, it was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls crashed down. Oh, my God, look at this. And it was by faith that who? Are you telling me that a prostitute by the name of Rahab can be mentioned alongside of men like Abraham, Moses, Isaac, and Jacob? Why? Because of faith. Not because of her lifestyle. Not because of the things she did wrong that she did right. But because of her faith made her stand out and different from everyone else in her entire city. And she saved her family as a result. By faith, Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city that refused to obey God. Three important factors for coming out of your wilderness. Three important factors for coming out of your stuck place. Number one, she had to be in the right place at the right time. She had to be in the right place at the right time. And I believe with all my heart, listen to me very carefully, I believe you are in the right place for the right time to come out of whatever has been holding you back in your life. I believe that you ever felt like you're stuck, that this year has looked the way it has looked and you're not sure how you're going to get out of it, that you're getting out of it. Because the very things that you think are keeping you stuck are the very things that God set up in your life to be able to move you forward. Every broken heart, every difficulty, every challenge, Every mistake, every sin, everything that you have ever done has strategically put you in the right place for the right time for God to be able to move you forward. The Bible says Rahab's house was positioned against the wall. It had to be where it was in order for God to be able to use her and do what God did in her life. And God has allowed you to do something. God has allowed you to go through what you've gone through. And the enemy meant it to hurt you, meant it to harm you, meant it to stop you, meant it to sit you down. But God has meant it to use you, move you forward. And Rahab was positioned as close to getting out as she possibly could be. And she was as close to getting out as she could be on her own. You've got to be in the right place at the right time. And I believe with all of my heart that everything you have been through, listen to me, has put you in the right place at the right time. Wow. Joshua, the Bible says, sends two men to expose this next generation to what Joshua had already seen. 
Now, it's not like Joshua hadn't been there before. Joshua was one of the 12, him and Caleb. Do you remember the story? So Joshua knew what was over there. He didn't need to see it again. But wait a minute. The new generation needed to see it. The new generation had to give and needed to have a vision of what Joshua was trying to lead them to do. So he sends out these two men that they might receive and understand or get a taste test of the next season that was coming into their lives. And it's true, for 40 years they'd gone a long way. They'd accomplished a lot of things and they were doing good. It's true that where they were at was not necessarily a bad place. Yes, it was a great place, but it was only a beginning place for the next generation. Guys, we've been 27 years doing what we're doing and there's been a wonderful blessings of God and buildings being built and properties being accumulated and all of a sudden we got people coming to a service on Sunday morning at 9 and at 11 and then on Tuesday night and then on Wednesday night and there's some people coming back for classes here, classes there and, and hundreds of, uh, of gifts being purchased to kids that are foster kids in the community and, and money being sent to Convoy of Hope and all these things that are being happening for our church and yes, we've come a long way and yes, we're in a great place but listen to me, this is just the beginning place for the next generation. This is us old timers getting us here. It was our checkbook. It was our credit card. It was our payday. Man, it was, it was awesome. But this is a beginning place for everybody else. And it's a beginning place for you, regardless of your age, for anyone who is willing to take a new look at an old challenge. Because that was the key. This was nothing new. It was the same place, the same issue, the same river, and the same people. Just older. <laughs> and that's point number two. Somebody had to take a new look at an old challenge. Somebody had to take a new look at an old challenge. You see, this has happened before. Forty years ago, they were right in the same place. But they came back with a negative outlook. And a negative outlook toward your future will always send you walking in circles. Every time. Somebody else will go right through it. But if you're looking at it in a negative way, what caused them to lose the first time? They saw themselves as grasshoppers. What caused them to win the second time? They saw them as the grasshoppers. What changed? This changed. Take a look at this on the side screen and everybody read it with me because this is so good. Come on, everybody together. If you take the old you into a new year, then it won't take very long for the new year to start looking. Hello. Mm. You might need to take a new look at an old message. I'm pretty convinced now that some Christians are waiting for a lottery win kind of message to change everything in their life. If I can just hear a message, it's like the winning lottery ticket. That one new message, if I could just hear that, if it, somebody will just give it to me, it'll be like, and I think you think, that the Holy Spirit is just going to grab you by the back of the neck and control you for the rest of your life. Now you're going to pray in the Spirit. Go ahead and pray in the Spirit. Now you're going to get gifts. Go ahead, get gifts, 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 gifts coming on you. Now you go over here with a good attitude, and you go over here with a good attitude, and I raise your hand and worship. Raise them up. Get, get up, up. Now sing. Open your mouth. Open your mouth. Put a smile on your face. Put a smile on your face. Now, hey, hey, uh, hey. 
And it's like you think the Holy Spirit is going to come into your life with some secret message that nobody has told you yet, but when you hear it, whoa, wow, that's what you've been waiting for. Now you're going to start doing everything right. I'm waiting for something new. Maybe we'll get it at first revival. In 27 years of speaking to you, I have never given you anything new. I never have, I'm not today, and I never will in the future. Because it is not my job to ever give you anything new. It is my job to give you an exact copy of what God has been saying to his children from the very beginning without adding one word to it and without taking one word away from it. And if anyone ever comes to you and tells you, whoo, they're saying something new over here, they're touching something new over there, run. Run from it. Because you're not looking for something new. Take a look, matter of fact, what Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 9 says. Historically, history merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, well, here's something new. Ah, no, it ain't. It's old. Nothing's truly new. I think you might enjoy this. I don't know if you will. I probably won't do this at 11, but I, I think you guys will get it. Every pastor that I know is being used of God in an effective way, crafts their messages together basically the same way. So if you've ever wondered about this, I'm going to take you behind the scenes and tell you what really happens. Number one, we pray. God, Sunday's coming. And we always feel the pressure of Sunday. Sunday's coming. i got to be ready. Lord, I can't stand up there and look stupid. Give me something to say. What do you want me to say? And Lord, they're your kids, so I don't know what you want for them. you got to tell me what you want for them, and I'll just be the mouthpiece that gets what you want them to hear through my mouth into their ears. And I'll try to do it where they pay attention, and they don't pay attention. I'll smack them upside the head. But I will do my job, but God, you got to first do your job because I don't know what you want me to say. So God, what do you want me to say? Lord, what do you want me to say? Sunday's coming five days a week. Sunday's coming four days a week. Sunday's coming three days a week. What do you want me to tell them? And then we read, and then we study, and then we listen, and we watch hundreds upon hundreds of messages. No, 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 no. I lied. Thousands upon thousands of messages from every preacher or pastor, teacher that we can hear or who has written a book that we have confidence and trust in that are doing the very same thing. Yes, we do. And then we ask God to start crafting all of it together. And I can promise you that I have never one time in all of my years of preaching, which is 40, I have never one time walked up behind my computer screen to a blank document, got out of the chair, stood behind the chair, and the Holy Spirit sat down there and typed it up on a blank document. I promise you it has never happened in 40 years. But what has happened is God has said, well, let's start with this. And then let's lead it into that. And remember what so-and-so said the other day? All right, just get that down and then put that in there. And that happened to you at the mall the other day. You know, when you were at the mall and you ran into that couple and you prayed with that couple, throw a little bit of that in there. Put a little bit of that in there. And all of a sudden, before you know it, I'm like, oh, wait a minute, I heard T.D. Jakes. I got to get a little T.D. Jakes in there. Andy Stanley, whoo, he said something. What, what did he say? What did he say? I got to get that in there. 
Ed Young Jr., I wrote that down. Put a little bit of Ed Young Jr. in there. There's some Bill Hybels in there. Bam! Bam, little Bill Hybels, little Gene Apple, little Mike Grove, little John Ortberg. Little Charles Stanley, oh, Charles Stanley, 85, 86 years of age. Little Charles Stanley going old school with it. Get a little Charles in there. And when I get Charles in there, I got D.L. Moody in there. I got Charles Spurgeon in there. I got Sam Jones from the 1800s. Oh, wait a minute, Joel said something. What did Joel say the other day? That was so good. Bam, put a little Joel in there. When I get Joel in there, all of a sudden, I got Dr. Norman Vincent Peale in there. I got Dr. Robert Schuler in there. I got Zig Ziglar in there. And I got Charlie Jones in there. And all of a sudden, we're bam, and we're bam, and we're bam, and the message is starting to come together because of those pastors that have spoken into our lives, those authors that we've read, the scriptures coming together, and the Holy Spirit saying, use this, use that, take a little bit of that out, put a little bit of that in. And every once in a while, we'll hear a pastor preach, and he'll bring a message up and say, I don't know, Seattle, Washington. And we'll hear it, and we'll go, oh, my God, oh, my God. Our people need to hear that message exactly the way that he taught his people. So please, Lord, help me not to mess this up. Help me to say it exactly the way that he said it, please. And pastors over the year have come to us and they've met us in the, out throughout the country. They talked to us, hey, 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 Hooper, we heard one of your pastors bring a message at your church. And I took it back to my church and I preached it to my church like the last Sunday. It was the one you guys did like three Sundays ago. And I'm thinking secretly to myself because I'm a communicator and I'm pretty critical. I'm thinking to myself, well, I hope you did it exactly like we did and it didn't change it around and screw it up. Because <laughs> it was pretty good when we got it out there. And if you listen to me, you've heard a little Joyce Myers lately. Now, I know something about you men. I know you men don't really listen to Joyce Myers. How many of you men, confess it, will listen to Joyce Myers? Would you raise your hand? God bless you, my brother. And the reason why you don't listen to Joyce Myers is because 10 or 15 years ago when you listened to Joyce Myers, you thought, here is a woman that I could never be married to on this planet. <laughs> and I'll agree with you. I could never be married to Joyce Myers. We would have killed each other the first year. But I love having her as a big sister. And if you haven't heard her lately, you're going to hear some of her from me because here's why. When she hit 70, which she's 73 now, oh my gosh, guys, there is a new anointing on her. But when you hear Joyce, you're getting a little bit of Joel. When you hear Joyce, you're getting a little bit of, you're getting a little bit of a Billy Graham. You see what I'm saying? Because we know this, none of it's ours. None of it. Let me give you a little bit of joy so on the side screen. This little one-minute snippet, okay? She talks about an issue that I think is funny, how women should forgive their husbands. She's 73. She finally got it figured out, women. Learn it earlier in life. 73-year-old, 45-year marriage, George Meyer talking to the women. Here we go. that God created us for relationship. And in order to have relationship with anybody, you have to really, even though you don't realize it, you have to kind of pre-decide that whatever they ever do during your relationship that bugs you, offends you, irritates you, or hurts you, that you'll forgive them. Otherwise, if you don't, relationship stops. And I was thinking about this like with my relationship with Dave. You know, we've been married 45 years and we've had to forgive each other, Lord only knows, thousands of times. 
It used to be really hard. Now it's pretty easy. It's just like, I don't, I'm not wasting my energy fighting anymore. You're forgiven. Go on about your business. I, I don't have no more energy left for that kind of stuff. There you go. You're forgiven. Go on about your business. She doesn't put her husband on a three-day probationary period for forgiveness. Where the first day is silent. Honey, how you doing? What are we going to have to eat tonight? Second day, a little bit of talk. Baby, you want me to fix, fix dinner tonight? Yeah. Yeah, you can fix dinner. You ought to fix dinner. What would you like? Whatever you want to make. Well, where's the pots and pans? You ought to know the kitchen. Find them yourself. Third day? Third day, okay, we're all right. We're starting to communicate a little bit again. Somebody's grinning, there's a little bit of laughter. Three days wasted. Three whole days. Now, that is normal for women. Now, some of you are looking at me like, you're mad at me. It'll take you till Wednesday for you're okay with me. And you're thinking, I wonder if Pastor, I wonder if Anna gets mad at Pastor Hooper. He stays, I wonder if she stays mad at him for three days. No, because I never say anything or do anything to make her mad. And Lord, I apologize. <laughs> For this message this morning, I read 15 chapters out of the book of Genesis. I did some reminder research on Moses and Joshua. I went to the pastor's message, our pastor's message from last week, reheard it. I listened to five T.D. Jake's message, eight Joyce Myers' messages, a little bit of Carrie Shook, a John Hagee, and a Joel Osteen. I put the Joyce Myers clip in last night at 9.30 by calling our tech team. I started this morning at 4 o'clock in prayer. At 4.30, I was editing the message in my mind. At 5.30, I was memorizing it. At 7 o'clock, I did some personal worship time in my study. I was here at 7.45 going over the notes with the team. I was praying up to the last minute, memorizing from 8.30 to 9 o'clock. I joined the church family in worship sometime around 9.25. And I prayed in my seat until I walked right up here to you. And you still aren't going to hear anything new. Ever. Your breakthrough is coming January 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. And you're coming out of your stuck place, not because you're going to hear something new. You're coming out when you have the courage to act on that which has already been said. Back to the story. She had courageous faith in God. She had the courage to withstand the king of Jericho, risk her life. She hid the spies. She cut a deal. She believed and she acted on what she said, what she heard, and what she believed. And then she said to her family, they're coming. They're coming. Everyone else in the city said, oh, my God, they're coming. They're coming. And they were terrified. And she had the faith to say to her family, they're coming. They're coming, and they're going to rescue us. And we're going to a new place. And we're going to have a new year and a new existence and new people. Yeah, they're coming. One group, they're coming. And one group, oh, my God, they're coming. They're coming. Two questions. Did God want to rescue this prostitute and her family? Yes or no? Do you think she would have been rescued had she not taken 
action herself. Yes or no? And action takes courage. The difference between Rahab and every, one of, every other family in the city is she acted on that which she believed and that which she heard. First revival's coming, ladies and gentlemen. First revival is coming. Number one, get yourself ready. You got to fast, you got to pray, you got to make a list of everything you want changed in your life so that you can bring it to God in this worship center. Get yourself ready. Number two, notify every loved one. Every loved one needs to come with you. Or 2017 ain't going to feel as good as it could. You bring every loved one with you. You make them stay over if they're coming for Christmas. You have them fly in like many people are doing that I already know of. And then number three, I don't think that her family members wanted to risk running late. I think they wanted to make sure they were ready and they were there. Not knowing if the next person was going to come in the door would kill them or rescue them. Here's the third one. Arrive early, get inside this worship center and start praying. First revival is coming. First revival is coming. First revival is coming. And you may only experience this one time in your entire life. So experience it. Well, now watch me wrap up this message that we've crafted together. I think there's something wrong with God's kids. No, I mean, we're doing pretty good, and you're here today. Why am I picking on you? No, but I still think there's something wrong with us. When any, and I don't know, guys, I don't know how it happened. But any time that a Sunday morning attendance of God's children coming together into the Lord's house on the Lord's day can be reprioritized because of a football game. Something has to be wrong with us because this is what I know and I think you'll agree with me. The Denver Broncos never have and never will do anything for you. Boom. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life, and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week.